Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favorite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish-tech-news. Hi, welcome to the Techno Podcast. Today I'm talking with Thriftify CEO and co-founder Ronan O'Dolik. How are you doing, Ronan? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? Great, thanks. Now, before we start, just a bit of your background so you know who you are. Yeah, sure. Well, um, I'm from Dundalkin in Dublin and uh, I've been working on kind of tech startups and other startups for most of my career, I guess. And um, yeah, I started Thriftify in 2018 and I've been working on it since then. And what does Thriftify actually do? We are a uh, platform for charity shops to help them sell online. So we provide uh, quite powerful e-commerce and digital commerce technology that enables charity shops uh, in Ireland and Britain to, to value their donations and sell them online. So, in other words, you could be you could say you're like the eBay of of, of uh, charity shops in a way. Yeah, yeah, it's a good description. And how did you guys start? How did the idea come about? Um, well, there's a few things I think. Um, I've always loved shopping in charity shops and, and wanted to make it easier for charity shops to be able to, to find things in charity shops. Um, and that was the first kind of bit of the idea. And yeah, since then we've just kind of followed the lean startup doctrine and iterated everything step by step. Um, started out selling books online, um, moved into fashion. You know, initially we were just doing valuation of products and then we moved into cross-listing, omni-channel, fulfillment, customer service merchandising, pricing, the whole remit, um, and we've just been kind of following that iterative journey really throughout and, and trying to maintain a good product market fit with um, with the market, making sure that what we're building actually is relevant, you know, and I think that's a big challenge, but thankfully it seems like we're kind of doing a good job there, uh, and now the, I guess the big challenge we have next is to, is to take it from a startup to a scale-up. You sound like, 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 like Amazon, they first started selling books and then moved into other areas as well. Yeah, yeah, Amazon. Yeah, it was their first thing they did. I think it was at the beginning of the. Similarly, you know, they would have saw an opportunity in the uh, the web uh, to be able to sell things online before anyone really did, or when it was just emerging. And I think we were at the beginning of a new kind of opportunity or sector as well, which is the emergence of the used fashion and used goods industry, which um, is outgrowing all other segments massively. So it's kind of like the new frontier in uh, in online sales. And I guess because, like, Amazon started when basically, it was basically the start of the internet era. They started off doing then. And you started off during the era of the pandemic, which might have helped you as well because people can't go to shops, obviously, that at certain times of the, of the, of the pandemic, they had to shop online. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely, I think what we saw was there was a huge amount of transition towards online tools, not just, you know, for people shopping online, which had the biggest increase in online sales growth in history but also in new adoption of online tools across everything really you know uh, and that, that also applied to charities and it gave them a bit of the nudge that they needed probably you know, none of them would be quite digitally illiterate um, and you know having a kind of a, a big event like the lockdowns spurred them on to invest in digital solutions in a way that probably they wouldn't have otherwise and also I guess everyone more or less now has a computer either a tablet or a smartphone or a or laptop, so it's easier to, to actually use your use your platform. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I mean, well, 
that said, I, I think you know, there's even, there's been some charities that we've spoken to who you know they still don't have internet or Wi-Fi in their stores, and I think we do see actually that you know the digitized the the connection issues across Ireland are still prevalent, and that's a big challenge for not just us but for everyone in, in the digital space. Um, you know, you know, Wi-Fi should now be kind of a human right, really, shouldn't it? It's kind of like water at this stage, um, and yeah, I think while we do see a big kind of growth and adoption of, of tech. Uh, devices and services. There's still there's still some infrastructural work to be done on a on a yeah some infra- infrastructural work to be done, especially for those legacy organisations. Yeah. Maybe it's not something that's been a core part of their remit or mission for most of their time. You know, you mentioned about Wi-Fi being a standard. Right? I'm thinking of 60 or so years ago when TV came to Ireland in the early 60s, and at that point it came in, and if you could afford TV, you you got it. Now, to me, TV is a right, and Wi-Fi was um, broadband has been here about 20 or so years. First came in, every having that to me, it's a, it's a right, it's a utility we all need. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, well, it's crucial, isn't it? You know, you can't, it's, it's very hard to function nowadays without it. And, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely, it's crucial. And I think with the, with the charity shops, they've got their digital transformation themselves from being, being basically a bricks and mortar store to online. And in some cases, if they're in, in a small town and that town isn't doing well, it isn't uh, as popular, people are in the shop anymore, they think, well, how do we save money? We, we can't keep a shop open if we're not going to have customers there, whereas if we're online, we're, save, we're saving less because we're not renting. Yeah, well, you know, I think there's multiple facets to that in terms of the omni-channel solution for sales. You know, it's yeah. like, we would never see the online as, as taken away from the in-store sales operation. And, and when you look at what happens yeah. in particularly use the used goods sector and charity retail, actually most of the donation volume isn't it isn't sold direct to the consumer. You know, it's exported uh, for recycling or for bulk sale. Um, so actually by, by becoming an online seller, you're opening up a completely new channel uh, and it's all incremental. So it should be on top of all the existing sales revenue. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it can be really beneficial because it opens up additional incremental sales channels on top of the existing ones that you have, um, which, you know, which are, which are fantastic. And obviously because you're adding your salary rate is higher and your price points are higher online as well. Yeah, and also, I know you're big into sustainability. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I think, I think, yeah, I'm big into sustainability, but um, I think it's, I don't know if it's a, if it's a passion, as a, I don't know if it's more of a passion or a worry. Um, I think, if, I think I would be quite close to the science on, on what's happening from a climate perspective. Um, and I think anybody who isn't paying close attention to that really needs to change where they're spending their efforts because ultimately we're now in the final days of an opportunity just to prevent the complete breakdown of civilization. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's not me saying that; it's the, it's the scientific community, um, and we've already seen the largest, the warmest temperatures and the longest sustained droughts in recorded history this summer. So. It's it's not an option anymore, and it never was. Um, but I think sometimes one of the things that happens to us is we get kind of put in a box of, you know, these are the heroes that will save us, <laughs> yeah. which I really don't like because, first of all, I don't want the responsibility, and secondly, there's not a hope in hell that people like me are going to solve this crisis. Uh, it's going to have to be large-scale systemic action, nationalization of the fossil fuel companies and redistribution of that wealth to invest in... Uh, renewables uh, and a similar situation in the agricultural sector. So, 
yeah, big into it, <laughs> but probably big into it in a way that, um, as someone who's um, probably you know turned thirty one this year, uh, I still I'm I'm gonna have to live through it, um, and it's something that is on the front of my mind, and I think the front of a lot of my generation's mind um, that the action that's needed, you know, we haven't really seen it. I think it's quite scary. Now, what's, what scares me is people basically when they're buying buying products. They don't realize how sustainable what they're buying is. So if, for example, with you guys, when you're going into a charity shop, <coughs> the carbon footprint has already been good, more than it's gone from that product, for example. Mm. So you can tell people, look, you used to buy before from X, Y, and Z. Now if you buy from here, this is what you're doing for the environment and how, and, and how you can feel good for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a huge aspect to that in terms of the ability to educate people in terms of you know what's happening from from a consumption perspective absolutely but i think actually the, the knock-on effect of that is even more powerful so you know really what we're doing is educating people in terms of what's happening from yeah. an environmental perspective and, what, and, the, and the causes of the fashion industry so or the damage the fashion industry is doing so if you look at the fashion industry today it's accountable for 10 percent of all emissions you know massive water pollution and usage uh, terrible human rights abuses labor rights abuses so young people in particular are becoming aware of that um and then it's you know all change all social change is an educational journey and uh, i think uh, and what we're doing is we're, we're playing a small a very small part to kind of bring people on that educational journey and say we have to achieve this change um and this is one of the solutions of achieving it but we have to do it and there are many other ways and then people get involved in that in other ways, whether that's activism or protest or other solutions. And I think that's um, that's a really nice kind of knock-on effect of, of the work that we're doing in terms of educating people on the damages of the fashion industry. You would also think, basically, when you're buying second-hand, I, I, if someone's willing to go and buy a second-hand car, why can't they buy a second-hand other products too? What's the difference? Yeah, absolutely. And the great thing about second-hand is it's cheap. Um, and it's super convenient as well. So I think I think maybe part of the challenge is that you know it hasn't been as ubiquitous or as easy as buying new, and that's one of the challenges that we have. You know, it's people will buy something from a feel for a feel good factor, you know, because they're having an impact and they're supporting charity, which is great. But ultimately, if we're not competitive on price and convenience, we're not going to become mass market. You know, we're going to be that niche bit of the market that targets people who like to feel good and that's all that's that's unfortunately you know it would be great and if that was a bigger segment of the market but it's just not and it is becoming bigger but we're running out of time for to rely on that to, to solve things so i think you know the challenge that we talk about internally is how we build something that uh, beats the incumbents yeah. uh, not that competes with them but actually beats them and wins across the entire not only across you know their core USPs but also then has additional add-ons which which wins over more people because so just being able to say that it's for impact because I'm thinking in the long term the fact that you're you're, you're a very sustainable active company that's what's going to be your USP the others don't have because you were you you're in there first you got founded this is what we need to do for the environment we've done this from day one who's going to join us and, and follow us uh, follow our lead yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think it's yeah. Well, it's it's like all kind of new emerging sectors, isn't it? You know, you kind of need you need someone to kind of 
break the ice maybe a little yeah. bit. But I think I think there's a lot of people who've done it who who are starting to do similar stuff in a sustainable fashion space. And especially in the US, you know, you have thread up with other major organizations who've been doing it for longer than we have. I think the unique aspect of, of what we're doing is that we're actively saying that the change in terms of consumption needs to also change where the money is actually ending up. So in our case what that means is that instead of the money from from the consumption of fashion going to um, massive multinational fast fashion businesses which are hor horribly unethical that that money actually goes towards good cause charities and at this stage of the climate catastrophe those organizations are going to play, be playing a key role in addressing some of the problems that the economic model as we know it has caused so uh, i think that's a big differentiator as well is that we actually want to have not just a circular um you know model or a circular economy in terms of where products are going but actually we need to move the conversation on and be talking about circularity in terms of finance because the, the real problem is that the financial model has been linear and it's all about extractivism and if we can make that model circular where spend is going back towards good causes communities and places where it's needed that's real that, that's going to be much more transformative than anything else I guess in a way you're kind of like what fair trade is to coffee perhaps yeah in, the, in that you're trying to basically put money back and make sure that, like, if you go and buy a fair coffee, you know that the person, that when you're buying a coffee, all that money's going back into lo to a local producer in, say, somewhere like South America or Africa, and you know that they're well treated, well looked after, and they're not they're not suddenly been been like somewhere where, where where the person who's buying from them is is buying for a cheap price possible. They're paying them a good a good fair price. Yeah, true. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I don't know a huge amount about the the fair trade um, model, but they've definitely succeeded in changing perceptions, haven't they? No. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's a win. And you're seeing more and more big companies now saying our coffee is fair trade or tea is fair trade. And I'm thinking with you guys, are if you can be like a, you said it mentioned earlier about America been been very big in sustainability. That's a big country, but in Ireland we're so small. If you're winning first to do this, that that's a win-win for you because you can say we've done it. We did it first. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't particularly mind it. who does it as long as it gets told. Yeah. Um, and and I'd be happy. I think it's great that there's more and more people setting up similar organisations. I think the more the merrier. Um, and it's you know I compare it to kind of the craft the craft beer space. You know, I remember when. The only craft beer you can buy in Ireland was O'Hara's, and then now suddenly, you know, you can go into any bar in the country and you can have craft beer. And I think that that it's like a rising tide lifts all ships, right? You know, it's what we saw was an, an uplift in I think the percentage, the market share of the craft beer space went from something like two percent to eleven percent. Yeah. Now it's kind of plateaued a little bit, but that benefited every small craft brewer. And I think the same is is true in this space. You know, we need more education and more general awareness among everybody of the benefits of buying used and impactful fashion instead of, instead of fast fashion. You remember years ago when the porthouse opened up and they were studying craft beer and they were doing it and they were the pub was and you were sitting there going okay what is this beer what is that beer and then you're, you're getting beers from all over the world and then suddenly you're going into your local convenience shop and, or like a spa or whatever it is or, or a centre or somebody and there you're finding O'Hara's and other craft beers there and same with you guys if you're the first to doing this Others will follow, so suddenly you're going to be like the porthouse. We, we, we were there for years, and suddenly everyone's doing it. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Fingers crossed, yeah. Because I think that's a good analogy with the craft beer. Because I remember when craft beers first, first came along. I said it went, went into 
and I used to get a, get a few different craft beers in, in, in uh, when I went in when Porthouse, and I go, what we'll try now, what we'll, what we'll try now, and then then you had Brewdog came in and Go Away Brewery came in and, and started doing that, and then you got Brewdog doing very similar. So you've got now a few different pubs, chains that are doing that, and I think with you there'll be other guys following your lead and doing what you're doing, but you can yeah. be proud and say, well. We were here first, but we're glad others are following. And it doesn't matter anymore that you're a trail pledge that matters that everyone else is doing what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And again, I, you know, as I said, you know, I don't mind as, as long as it's kind of getting done. Yeah, because I think right now what we've seen, how the, you mentioned earlier about the, the weather and how it's changed so much. We've had droughts, we've had, we've had heavy rain, we've had lots of things that we wouldn't normally get. Like, I can remember, in, in, used to be in Irish summer, you spent half of July, would be raining. And see now we've got this really, really hot weather, and then we when it ends, thunderstorms and floods, and then we get hot weather again. So it's something that we're not really used to. Yeah, and and the thing about it is, I, I don't think people realize the how it works. Like it's not incremental. Yeah, it's not. It's exponential. Yeah, uh, it's exponentially changing and exponentially worsening. And what that means is that we'll go from unless things change, we will go from the summer we've had, which was very warm dangerous in some parts to food shortages yeah. w- within a very short period of time. I'm not talking tens of years, I'm talking kind of three to five years. Yeah. That's, how, that's how exponential change works. And the reason that will happen is because those periods of drought will become even longer and there'll be crop failures across Europe. So this is the level of, of exponentially worsening scenario that we're in. And it just seems a little bit like we're still beholden to I don't know who, the daisy of free market capitalism a little bit. Um, and it's leading us down a path from which there's no return. So I think the sooner, you know, the general public kind of uh, comes on this educational journey of, of where we're heading, the sooner we can demand that we pull the car over and turn around. And also, I guess, if we can get big organizations to, to change how to do things and become more sustainable and realize if they want to get, in, uh, get new customers in, You've got to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I think, it, yeah, it becoming, making it impossible for organizations to, to, to be successful if they're not um, acting in a way that's planet-friendly, I guess, is, is definitely, I think we're starting to see a little bit of that, you know, we're starting to see, like, H&M and other, some of the other big fast fashion, fast fashion brands really invest in marketing, at yeah. least, the sustainable aspect of what they do now uh, there's very little follow through on a lot of that so far but I think what they've recognised is we at least need to be pretending um, that we're having an impact or at least showing to some consumers that we're moving in that direction even though really they're not um, and that's a clear sign that you know ultimately that message is doomed to fail right? because education is a one way journey you can't uneducate people um, and I think it's a little bit of a challenge though because what we're seeing is the reason they're doing it is because they know it works. Like they're happy to spend millions and millions on marketing a false message as long as they can get away with it. And they're actually being sued at the moment. I don't know if you've seen that, but H&M and a few others um, are being sued for false advertising based on some of their green claims, which is mm-hmm. good. Um, but I think that's what that shows is that they're aware that change is coming and they're trying to get ahead of it. Uh, and they're doing it in a way which, you know, the same way they've always done things is what's the cheapest, most effective way to keep making money. Uh, and for them, it's the cheapest, most effective way to keep making money. It's not actually change, but it's just advertise <laughs> that they are changed. Yeah, and um, maybe just to change the perception of what you think of them, when in reality the perception is 
they've got two masks on one mask is a mask that oh yeah we're, we've changed take it off same old place haven't changed much at all yeah no and they haven't and uh, you know some of, the, some of them are doing more than others but, but when none of them are talking about uh, production you know the main issue is we're just overproducing and over two issues overproduce overproduction and overconsumption and none of them are saying you know we're going to stop producing the hundreds of millions if not billions of garments that we're producing a year and none of them are saying that we're going to stop trying to sell it faster to people and yeah. advertise it and uh, focus on kind of beauty standards and uh, yeah quite problematic advertising approaches to try and shift stuff as fast as possible well to me it's, like, it. it's like 20 years ago you, you, you went to buy coffee you can buy two of these different types of coffee and that was it and the consumer was told this is what you're buying now you walk in there's different kind of coffee. What kind of milk do you want? Almond milk? Do you want soy milk? It, they've listened to, to the consumer. The consumer is now realizing we want something a bit more healthier. And with the yeah. clothing, they've got to then realize the consumer is going to dictate in the end what the what we want to buy, not you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the challenge is that whether or not we have enough time left in terms of the, the emissions for that to, to take hold. Um, and the science will tell us that we don't. So, so. That, that then presents a challenge so what we have to see is we have to continue and push that journey faster than ever but we also then have to see systemic action from regulators and government um, and so far we haven't seen that you know so if we wanted to we could solve this overnight you know we could we could implement a, a we could implement new legislation across the European Union which bans products that aren't climate neutral um, yeah. now it would cause mass scale disruption and probably huge layoffs across all of these fast fashion brands but the alternative is the complete collapse of the climate um, and we need to be phasing it out so you know you can't, you can't do it overnight but I think uh, what we need to do, be doing is taking that kind of radical action and, and I think interestingly like the pandemic was a, a real signal that systemic action is possible you know yeah. we saw some of the biggest state action ever um, the ability to the entire country to a close, be able to turn around the vaccine so quickly, um, all of these different actions that we took uh, because we were in a crisis. And everyone said, yeah, of course we're in a crisis, we should do this. But the difference was the government were serious about it and they got behind it. Um, and they educated people on the problem and then they took action. Um, and we're yet to see that. And I think, you know, that's kind of the, we need, we need, we need both. We need that action, but we also need, yeah, increased education and awareness from from all think of us. We need someone like Peta, who back in the nineties were bringing about animal cruelty to uh, for for fashion and clothing, and then they got people like Naomi Campbell got involved, and other two months and Crawford got involved, and they promoted this. And if you're someone that was doing that, and people were seeing up front, oh, so and so is is back in this, then it must be good. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. I guess the the other aspect as well is. And what you're saying is we've seen some big movements in, in the sustainable fashion space recently with the likes of, you know, Love Island, the biggest the biggest TV show of the year, kind of moving away from fast fashion sponsorship and being sponsored by eBay. Yeah. Um, and you're right, there's, there's a huge role for people of influence to play in, in changing the discourse. And I think that single act alone has probably done more than most government actions so far, which is a, a sad state of affairs when a, a kind of a influencer-based TV show can have more of an impact Yeah, because 20, years ago, if you're looking at fashion, you'd be looking at magazines like Vogue and Mary Claire. Nowadays, you're looking at TikTok and and, mm. and Snapchat and YouTube to all the social media influencers. They're the ones that are educated. So if you get them to 
say this is what we should be doing and get them to educate people early, that's great because they're educating the youth of today, which are going to be the which are going to be the the future of tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. I think it's an important one for us to have a presence on those channels as well, and to make sure that we're going up against some of the other messages from from uh, from from those organisations that we necessarily don't agree with, like the fast fashion companies, and making sure that yeah, we're educating people there. And the one thing is, you got to make sure that the well-respected and well-known brand names in, in fashion have been around for years. <laughs> Or certainly somebody you can look up think, oh, look at this, for example, that brand there, what they're doing. They're, they're using, they're making the jeans a certain way, more sustainable. They're using a certain kind of the denim or the process to make it is, is more eco-friendly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's kind of around the circularity, isn't it? It's like, yeah. you know, it's much better to buy something that's been used and made from new because it's just the impact of that is going to be so much less. I think for me, that's great, but except when it comes to school uniforms at times. When mm-hmm. that, that's the one thing that's going to be harder to actually do at the moment because basically, normally, if you get a family of kids, normally uh, the, the parents would either give the young kids the hand-me-downs or they have to buy new, depending on what schools they go to. And that's the only place I can see where that could be a bit of a problem. Yeah, well, I, I think the same is true in lots of different areas, yeah. you know, whether it's work or anywhere, it's kind of a similar uh, challenge. But I think, I think there's a lot of solutions is in recognizing the quality of the products that have been made as well. So we, we, for somehow we uh, allow companies to build in, it's called planned obsolescence, you yeah. know. And the best example is, is nylon, nylon tights. So the first nylon tights that were made were indestructible. They would last for five to ten years. Yeah. And now, you know, tights are notoriously crap. Yeah. Um, and constantly having to buy new tights. Whereas actually, it is possible. It's actually was the first thing they built was basically indestructible, amazing nylon tights. Um, and then the industry realized, oh, well, actually, if we make them indestructible, then people aren't, we're not going to be able to sell them again yeah. and again and again. And similarly, you know, even printers and technology and iPhone, Apple were sued for this, for having planned obsolescence in one of their updates. They slowed down loads of iPhones with a new update because they want people to buy a new one. Um, so, like, I think there's an element as well of looking at the, 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 the quality of products as well. Um, not just that we buy used, but would it be actually buy quality yeah. um, and stuff that's built to last because it's going to get more longevity, it's going to it's going to be able to be handed down. Um, so that's a key, I think that's a key point as well. And, and that makes it better as well. So it's not about buying, you know, new items or quality items, but it's about buying items that are new to you. Um, yeah. And if those items are really good quality, it doesn't matter if they've been, if they've been worn and, it's the same clip. Yeah. Six class or six class wears them again and again. I have an issue with that. When I've when I been buying jeans, certain brands, the pockets wouldn't last long. If you put a phone in there or a key wallet, the pocket would break. And the only brand I've had that actually doesn't do that was Levi's. So I, I was buying different brands. Oh, yeah, I'm going to buy that. That looks nice to me. And I buy a brand and it fits where it looks nice. But suddenly you find I have to keep sewing the pockets up. Whereas with Levi's, never had that. They've been designed from day one for rough wear and design to last. Now, I'm thinking, yeah, if I'm good. buying clothes and it's designed like that, that you can wear it for three, four, wear, wear it for as long as possible, we have to change it. That's what I want. So I want to make sure I get longevity out of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that, and that's the way the model, that's the way it should work. But unfortunately, they've purposely built a model which is based on where it wants to throw it away because it suits them. It's really high margin. 
um, and it's more profitable. So we definitely, definitely need to move towards a, a model that's much more focused on, on quality, um, higher price points, but lower frequency of yeah. purchase. Because I remember I, I might spend, I might have a 200 years of pair of jeans, and suddenly after, but after a short while, there'll be holes in the pocket thinking, hold on, I'm paying for a high-end product, why is it doing that? And then you get leave with half the price that is doing the exact same job, but it works. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind yeah. of annoying, but I mean, I guess sustainability has got to be something that we've got to stop, we've got to think about now. And, and basically, when someone's out now is going shopping, they've got, to, they've got to think, when I'm buying a certain product, how sustainable is it? How is the current footprint? How is it going to help? Will my grandchildren be around to see this? Yeah. Or I always say the joke, what world are we leaving Willie Nelson and keep it just to live in? Because they've been around, so, uh, they're going to be around to see what they're going to see when we're all gone. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's a sad set of affairs that we that we're still talking. But guess when my view, we should be basically in front center of our minds. Like whenever we go shopping, we're sustainable. What's good for the environment? How do we make sure that we're not we're, we're not going to cause damage? We're not going to have a scenario that in twenty years time, if only we only had done X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I think though that we have to kind of also be pragmatic as well and recognise that there is, you know, people in various socio-economic classes don't have the luxury of buying sustainably, um, and that's a real challenge. You know, um, luxury and similar to the organic food movement and health food movement, it's more expensive, and that then bars a certain. Uh, sector of society from, from accessing it, which is a problem. Um, and it's also, you know, I think the concept of the carbon footprint was invented by BP, right? And it was invented by BP as a way of shifting the responsibility off themselves and onto the general punter. So yeah. while there's a huge amount that all of us can and should do, fundamentally it's not going to change unless we see systemic action. So I think the single biggest change that we can make is engaging in uh, political action or, or, or protest uh, that replaces those in power who are refusing to make change with, with those who will make change. Um, it kind of reminds me of an early note is when we, when we brought in the smoking ban. We thought it couldn't be done. Then suddenly, once we did it, other countries follow suit. Now, if somebody was to do something similar to that with, with, with the sustainability and bring it in, others will, others will follow along. Yeah, absolutely. It just require, It just needs to be normalised, yeah, and made yeah. a part of everyday life, yeah. And, you know... It, I don't think there's anyone in the country now who could imagine going into a bar or restaurant and someone lighting up a cigarette. Like you yeah. said, no, it would be completely unheard of. Um, people would be in shock, you know. And there's a whole generation of people now who've grown up without it. Yeah. Um, which is fantastic. And I, and I guess it kind of, normal. like when you said BP introduced carbon footprints, if BP was something introduced sustainability or something as, as part of their uh, milestone goals to reach, and they did that, others would have to follow suit as well. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, you know, they won't, you know. No. The fact is, the oil companies won't. The oil companies won't change until they're forced to. Um, and the question is, what's going to force them to first? Is it going to be um, government action? Is it going to be mass mobilization and protest? Or is it going to be the catastrophic weather events that get rid of their entire model, you know? Storms yeah. that are so severe that there's no point in them producing oil because there's no roads left, or because the economic model has completely collapsed. And it's just bizarre that that's the reality that that we're in. That those companies are so profit driven, so greedy, um, 
that they're happy to just keep doing what they're doing at the expense of everybody else. Um, now they probably, obviously, maybe look at it differently and have their own mindset, but ultimately the science doesn't lie, and you know, physics doesn't debate. No, <laughs> physics doesn't do podcasts. No. Physics is physics is physics is physics, um, and there's there's no room for. For, for questioning it or for anything else. Um, and you can't change it. I mean, once it's there, you can't, change it. you can't, you can't like, say, well, actually, you can't interpret it one way or another way because it's hard to do that. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you go, there's lots of rain here, you, you can't say, oh, that's a one-off day. You, because that's happening in one more frequently, not here, but all over the world as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, like, we see yeah. what's happening all, but every year we're seeing more and more gorse fires and forest fires happening all over, all over especially a lot of the happening now in Europe and you, and you can't go and blame someone left a cigarette or somebody left a barbecue that, that was the excuse you could use 20 years ago but not anymore yeah absolutely yeah it's unequivocal now this stage. yeah and before we finish off is there anything else you want to add or do you think you've covered a lot no I think we've, we've had a great chat yeah I think the only thing I'd, I'd add is that you know over the next kind of coming weeks and months we're going to be on a big a journey of growth and hiring so if people are interested in what we're doing I really encourage them to kind of come on board and maybe check out some of the jobs that we're hiring for um, or just kind of subscribe to the email newsletter and stay up to date with everything we're working on yeah and where's your website so they can find more information on you guys it's thriftify.ie and also you said the, and also I guess on there there's a link to an email newsletter as well absolutely yeah, yeah. that's great thanks for that Ronan have a great day great thanks, thanks very much you too thanks Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.